in the name of our Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Christian Church has always confessed the truth that Mary is the mother of God. There was an ancient conflict in the early 400s in the church when a man named Nestorius was elected bishop of the church in Constantinople. And Nestorius declared that Mary should not be called Theotokos in Greek, that is, the mother of God. And Nestorius thought that it was impossible for God to be confined in a human womb. In A.D. 431, then, the church condemned Nestorius as a heretic in the Council of Ephesus. Of course, it makes sense, doesn't it, that God cannot be confined to a human womb? And it sounds a lot like we're exalting Mary too much to call her the mother of God. But I want you to consider the facts that Mary was told by the angel Gabriel, listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Mary's son is God. Mary is his mother and the mother of the one who is God. The point of that phraseology that Mary is the mother of God is not to say anything about Mary. It says a lot less about Mary than it says about her son. She confessed of herself, see I am the Lord's servant. And she called her son her own savior. She had need of him as well, just as all sinful human beings do. So no, Mary wasn't special, but her son was and is, because he is God. God sent his son to be born of a woman, St. Paul wrote. This was his plan to redeem us from the law and to give us adoption as sons. Being under the law is a form of slavery. Like the whips of Pharaoh, all the commands that we were expected to perform perfectly are heavy and harsh on our backs. In his most famous sermon, Mary's son would explain some of those commandments. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. And his disciple would also write, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. Jesus would explain as well, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anger, hate, lust, these are all sins of thought, not merely of word or deed. Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. They are, after all, the righteous commands and expectations of God himself. What he wishes for all people to do, say, and think has never changed. The expectations of God's commands can be summarized in Jesus' words again when he said, so be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
St. Paul wrote in another epistle, Slaves, obey your human masters with respect and reverence, and with a sincere heart, just as you obey Christ. And that would have applied also to the people of Israel under Pharaoh in Egypt. But God purposed to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And in the same way, through his Son, who came in human flesh and was born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law, he purposed to redeem you from the curse of the law. Now God's tactic to release Israel from the power of Pharaoh was first to ask. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. And you remember that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the command of God and jealously held on to his slaves until God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to use him to demonstrate his redemption. In the Passover, when God struck down the firstborn of every man and beast in the land of Egypt, but he spared the people of Israel, everyone who had the blood of the Lamb marking their doorposts, God redeemed his people. He purchased his people in blood. And he left these instructions. In the future, when your son asks you, and this is a son that we might add who is alive precisely because of this Passover, when your son asks you, what is this about? You will say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt where we were slaves. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. That is why I sacrifice to the Lord the firstborn of every mother, the males, but I redeem every firstborn of my sons. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman so that he would be born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we would be adopted as sons. What a perfect, glorious sentence that is. The law came with a curse because that law had been broken. Cursed is everyone who does not uphold the words of this law by doing them. And you and I are guilty. We confess that we've sinned against God. With David, we confess in his psalm, my sin is always in front of me against you. You only have I sinned and I have done this evil in your eyes. So you are justified when you sentence me. You are blameless when you judge Certainly I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. And that death should have come upon us. There's nothing that we've done that showed that we deserved that God should pass his wrath over us and past us. But God wished to be merciful. The curse had to be exacted. Blood had to be spilled. And Jesus spilled his own blood to pay it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But how is it possible that one man could pay for the sins of the whole world? For all the fullness of the God's being dwells bodily in Christ. It's like a scale or a seesaw. The whole world, with its guilt and sin and death, sits on one side. And if God isn't on the scale to give it weight, we on our side sink down onto the ground. But he could sit on the scale because he became a man like us. 
That's how Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became fully human and yet remained still fully God. Being therefore both God and man, Jesus died innocently to pay the price for all of our sin. And therefore, God died. God shed His blood. And that precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot, was a sufficient price to pay for the sin of every human being on this entire planet, from the first to the last, including you. You see why it's important, then, that we say Mary is the mother of God. This means that her son, the human son that was born of her on Christmas Day, who died also on Good Friday, while she wept at the foot of his cross, that human son was also God. So that his holy, precious blood, his innocent suffering and death would purchase you. And because Mary's son was God, he was also able to give us adoption as sons. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir of God through Christ. Now Jesus is the only heir of God, the appointed heir of all things, he's called in Scripture. God's only begotten son. But we are also made heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Because whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this faith, this believing in Him comes through the Holy Spirit. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to shout, Abba, Father. We're able to call God our Father, you see, in Hebrew as the Old Testament people of God did, Abba, or in the Greek as the New Testament people of God did, Pater, or Father as it's translated here, or whatever language we speak, we call Him our Father. Jesus invited us, His disciples, to call on our Father who art in heaven with Him. That is, Jesus' Father is also our Father, precisely because of the faith that His Spirit put into our hearts. And that Spirit brought Jesus into your heart through the Word of God the same way that the Spirit brought Jesus into the womb and heart of Mary through the Word spoken by God's messenger. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible for God. And when Mary heard those words, Jesus was conceived in her womb by the power of the Word. And just so when you hear the Word, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, that's made true for you. The Spirit comes along that word, empowers that word, fills you with that word, brings Jesus into your heart with that word. That word comes along with specific visible elements as well. When attached to water, according to Jesus' institution, baptism gives you that forgiveness, life, and salvation. And when attached to bread and wine, according to Jesus' institution, those elements are Jesus' body and blood to give you this forgiveness, life, and salvation. And every time that the pastor or a fellow Christian lays his hands on you and tells you your sins are forgiven, again, according to Jesus' promise, 
you have this forgiveness, life, and salvation. And therefore you, along with all Christians, enjoy a new, changed identity. You're filled with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You're clothed with Christ. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And you call out in one voice with Christ. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to shout, Abba, Father. And Mary, the mother of our Lord, typifies the Christian church in this way because she likewise enjoyed a new identity as a result of her Savior, her Lord, residing within her. She was filled with Christ. Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. She was clothed with Christ. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And she also cries out with one voice with Christ. My soul magnifies the Lord, she sang. Because her Savior made her body His temple, she was called blessed. And she sang to her God. And because your Savior makes your body His temple now, you also are called blessed by Him as well. When God ransomed Israel from Egypt, redeemed His child, He sanctified their firstborn sons as His own sons. He even says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. The prophet Hosea relates the history. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But as God spoke that prophecy through Hosea, he was looking back at the history but also forward, ahead. As St. Matthew relates, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And this is very important. Jesus is and always has been the Son of God. From eternity, the only begotten of the Father. He's the main one about whom that prophecy of Hosea speaks. And Israel earned the title of son from God, even firstborn from God, because, not of anything Israel did, but because of the redemption of Jesus. Because Jesus shed his blood, it came back in time to cover those people. It hadn't happened yet when they were redeemed, but they looked ahead to that sacrifice on the cross that spanned all time. The lamb of the Passover prefigured Christ. The blood on the doorposts prefigured the blood on their hearts. The meal on that lamb's flesh prefigured the supper of Jesus' true body and blood. And the crossing of the Red Sea prefigured the washing of baptism. So because Jesus is God's Son and because He became Mary's Son and because He died and rose to life again, Israel was called God's Son by God's declaration and promise. And you also, because Jesus is God's Son, because He became Mary's Son, because He died and rose to life again, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. Mary is the mother of God, and she's declared blessed by God. That's a great honor that she's been given by God, and therefore you and I 
can follow her example and bow down before her Son, before our Lord, because He has taken up residence in our hearts by faith. Jesus once said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? He reached out His hand toward His disciples and said, See, my, brother, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. And so by God's own declaration, by the Spirit of His Son coming to you in word and sacrament, you are declared God's Son, because you are united to Christ, who is true man and true God, your Savior and your Lord. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen. Create in me.